Hi, before we start this show, I just want to let you know that we have a couple of podcasts upcoming. One of them will be about how to use social media as a debate club, and the other one will focus on how to conduct evaluations that you can actually learn from. If you have any questions to ask to any of these experts, feel free to mail us at podcast at idebate.nl, that is podcast at idebate.nl, or leave a message through our social media pages. You can find us as the International Debate Education Association, both on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's it for now. Hope you enjoy this show. Hello, everyone. Following the killing of George Floyd and the subsequent Black Lives Matter protests in the States, much of the world is once again discussing the issue of racism. These protests have been successful in bringing to the forefront the concept of systemic racism. This concept tells us that racist structures are deeply embedded in every segment of social and political life. This includes even progressive institutions, such as debate, or at least how debate sees itself. In this series of interviews, we want to explore how racism manifests itself in the debate community and what the community can do to dismantle those structures. We are very happy to have this conversation with a wide range of knowledgeable and insightful voices. And today I'm speaking with one of them, which is Essenam. Essenam has is pursuing currently a master's degree in environmental policy at the University of Cambridge and completed her undergraduate degree at Kwame Nkrumah University in Ghana. Essenam, thank you very much for joining us. Um, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Can you briefly outline what your connection to debate is? Uh, when did you start and why did you continue? Um, okay, so I started debating in high school and then I continued during my undergrad years. And that is specifically from 2016 to 2019 back in Ghana. And of course, I think debate is a very interesting sport. I like the fact that through debate, I was able to challenge so many notions I previously had. And I like the fact that I got to meet new people and travel around the world as well. And so it was just an interesting for me to keep learning new things and i guess that's why i stayed yeah wonderful and you're also quite well accomplished i uh, i've heard that you've done uh, you, you you of course were near top of the speaker tabs um you help with hosting uh the west african women's debating championship uh so you've also spread that desire to continue learning and help set up uh, very beneficial structures to increase debating uh, in ghana yeah, exactly. Especially for women in debates, because then there's always this disparity between the number of men and women there. So I made it a point to try and sort of like just help other women coming up in the debate circuit. And yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. Many people who uh, listen to this, this show uh, are from many debate communities around the world, uh, but I help to feel that the Ghanaian debate community isn't enormously represented on, on the world stage. Um, so it might be interesting to hear a little bit as to, like, what does the Ghanaian debate community look like? How big is it? Um, how many tournaments are there? And what are the uh, structural uh, obstacles for the Ghanaian debate community that you'd wish it sees and can overcome? Okay, so I think um, debating Ghana is 
relatively new. I think it goes back to 2012. Um, so it's still less than a decade old in Ghana. And there are about four major institutions that are always present in debate tournaments. But then over the years, we've tried to um, open up debate into other smaller institutions as well. Um, so in terms of um, participation in West African tournaments and even African tournaments, I think progress has been quite good. We've attended the Pan-African University Debate Championship since I think 2013. And so it's been consistent. And, but then the problem is like breaking out into the world stages, right? The first Ghanaian team to attend um, WDC was in 2017, which is quite recently, that was in three years ago. And it's only been two institutions from Ghana that have been able to attend um, WDC. And so there's still a lot more progress to be done in terms of the global arena but when it comes to the west african debate space we're quite a dominant force and even in the african debate space we've won the african tournament twice in a row last year and the year before that so i think you are quite good on the um, continental and regional level but still a lot of work needs to be done on the global stage yeah. Wonderful. So it sounds like actually by myself not having had to encounter many debaters from Ghana, I have missed out on some of the leading voices from the African continent in debates. And uh, I can't help but wonder, do you feel that the inability for debaters from Ghana to break out on the global stage, is that part of the conversation surrounding race that we should be having? Um, I wouldn't target as racism per se, but probably maybe an, an issue of inclusion and diversity probably i wouldn't like to target as um discrimination based on you know skin color but then of course there are certain structural issues that make it difficult for um african de debaters to make it on the world stage right so in terms of especially things like cost in terms of things like feeling um, a sense of representation when we come to tournaments, like all those things have an effect on how well we perform and how long we're willing to stay within these spaces. Because I remember there was somebody who joined Cambridge Union before I did, the year before I came to Cambridge. And then when I asked the person about the debates in space in Cambridge, a person was like, well, it's just too difficult to fit in. So they wouldn't advise me to join because it was just not worth it, right? So over there is not an issue of racism per se, but just an, a lack of, you know, inclusion and representation perhaps, yeah. I think that's a very helpful suggestion uh, in, in, in framing this conversation in that yeah. indeed what you're telling me is there's both our systemic efforts that we need to take towards inclusion, as well as looking how discrimination or direct um, interaction from person to person level, how they both can influence these kind of things. Um, I'm intrigued by what you mentioned in terms of entering into Cambridge University, um, so entering into a white space where you've met someone who said uh, it's unlikely that these people would fully accept you there. Is that has it also been your experience? Could you maybe tell a bit more about that? Um, so I like to think I was probably more persistent than the other person. And so I decided to still give it a shot. I joined, I went for debate auditions and I got accepted into the debating team. And then I 
I even had the privilege of um, representing the union at the World University Debating Championship. So, and the process was very fair to me, you know, because then there was a panel that decided all these things. You ha you get feedback and you understand how you could have done better and what you should have done. But then the problem is that aside, you know, the inclusion when it comes to just debate wise, there's other things that need to be done to make sure that people are able to feel comfortable in such spaces because coming from Africa to um, UK this is my first time being the only black or one of the few black people in like a majorly white space so these things can be quite intimidating and the cultural shock alone is enough to uh, um, deter people or prevent people from performing as well as they did right so in terms of um, inclusion I keep mentioning it right I feel like it, 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 it's something that we need to pay particular attention to, especially when our institutions are, you know, global or multicultural institutions. It's not enough to say, oh, well, yeah, we, we allow a very fair process of debate and it goes beyond that because if I'm not feeling comfortable, I don't feel like I'm included in a debate space. It's very difficult for me to um, attend tournaments and perform as well as like um, my European counterparts. So it takes efforts from both sides really and I know it's a lot of work that needs to be done but I think the first step that can be taken in such instances is to at least um, make the effort to ask questions, right? solicit feedback ask people from different cultural backgrounds that how would you like us to make you help you feel included in such spaces how different is your circuit in terms of debating and how do you think we can make our circuit more inclusive you know it's a lot of work really but then it shouldn't always be the case where the minority group is the one you know always asking the questions because i felt that was my experience here and it's it was always me taking the step you know talking to people trying to fit in and it can be quite tiring and it would have been nice to see um effort from the other side just simple questions both through you know formal conversations and informal conversations so formal conversations at the institutional level maybe create a feedback or questionnaire system where um people from different backgrounds can talk about how to improve debating spaces because you never know some things until you ask those questions and then even even just on one-on-one -on -one conversations informally ask how different is the African circuit how different is the circuit you're from and how can training be made more inclusive for you what kinds of activities you think would make you feel comfortable in the debate space right so I think that's largely the problem and of course I admit there's a lot of work that needs to be done but at least I'd like to see steps being taken to make it happen yeah mm -hmm. I think that's very important to to say because what you're saying here is that quite a few of the white space debate circuits uh, and, and the debate clubs have the pretension of being race neutral or not seeing that race but in that sense what you're, you're, you're highlighting here is that it means that those communities aren't necessarily aware of what are potentially the best steps or the extra steps that we need to take to include debaters from certain different backgrounds. Um, so concretely what are the extra steps that for instance the Cambridge Debating Society can take to try and make sure that they can include more people? You say be like more aware of the fact that people are from different backgrounds to so offer the opportunity for giving that type of feedback um, but what are the ways in which they could like restructure their recruitment or their training uh, or their tournament selection to generally make feel people from different backgrounds uh, feel more accepted? 
Okay, so I think in terms of recruitment, I think the process was very fair. It was actually, I was actually very surprised that I was new to the circuit and I still got accepted to represent the team as well. At well. So I think it was a fair, a fair recruitment process, right? But then it shouldn't end after recruitment. It shouldn't, it should go beyond um, just recruiting you and then leaving you to your own in the debate space, right? So I talked about things like um, having like a formal feedback system. So maybe include it like for the first week, have it like after have something like a freshest week where you solicit people's, you know, experiences and what they would like to see, how they would like to um, feel better in those spaces because even though there's some form of um, activities for freshers who join most of these things are eurocentric and can be quite you know um, difficult for other people who are not europeans to blend into right so if there was um, a concerted effort during the first few weeks because the first few weeks are really crucial because then if you don't feel comfortable after two or three weeks you just sort of like fall away so the first few weeks should be more of a conversational time where you have um, some of these conversations happening in um in a formal way just to make the people the new recruits feel like space that is at least trying to make sure that they are included and i think that's like a, a big first step that can be taken I think that's very good. It reminds me analogously to a conversation that's been going on in many debate circuits surrounding drinking, where quite a few people are highlighting that a large amount of the social life in European universities centre around going to the pub, uh, having lots of drinks, um, yet there is a minority of people who, for whatever reason, refuse to engage in a type of behaviour and they feel excluded. Um, and indeed, what you're saying here is that we have more open conversations, we are more aware of those people existing and know what kind of like arrangements we need to take to take them in, into account. Yeah, very, very good. Um, so when you've moved into uh, this type of debating, uh, so you say in the onboarding process within a club, there is uh, a lot more that can be done in this type of conversation. Does that idea then translate as well to the wider community when you say go to tournaments or even to, to like global tournaments or local tournaments on the UK circuit? Um, yes, I think so. I think um, these things should transcend um, the institutional level and also go to the tournament level. Um, I attended um, the Oxford Ivy and I attended the Worlds in Thailand as well. And you realize like these things can be very fast paced. And of course, kudos to the Ocom for trying to make things like roll smoothly as they should. But then in organizing such things, like it'll be very helpful to keep in mind the fact that there are people that come in from diverse backgrounds and find ways of making these people feel more included in terms of, um, you know, even representation on like CAP, representation on OCOM, representation on um, equity panels, you know, all these things have a role, a psychological role in how well a person feels um, welcome in any kind of space you know in terms of social activities how do we like solicit feedback to make sure that social activities at worlds are not just focused on just one type of um, people how do we make it more inclusive to other people and again of course i admit this is a lot of work but then like it just takes like tiny little steps and also you realize that when you when the majority or the dominant group takes such steps, it's easy for the 
like minority groups to open up and then just spark a conversation because usually when um the minority group feels like um they're the ones that have to make the effort or they feel tired at um you know the, the amount of work that they need to do on their part to be included in such spaces it can be quite you know frustrating so at least to see effort from both sides would help generate a conversation a much wider conversation that would be important in these kinds of things right yeah i think i think this is very helpful and indeed a very wonderful way of, of positing that um, lots of what the problem is of course is that there are minority or majority groups who don't consider themselves to be majority groups who don't see what the problem is with the set of norms and behaviors that they've tended to like incorporate because they don't see them as norms and behavior itself and becoming more aware of the fact that, that always is the case um, I think is a very very good approach uh, to highlight at every level down and I think a very actionable approach I think that's very good Often case, and I, I think I think a difference in the way that you describe here the difficulty of in, of including yourself in a majority white space, because very often when white people have conversations surrounding racist behavior, they tend to think of things as being like very explicit racialized tropes that they use against people. Um, is that something you've encountered in the debating sphere? Or is it much more these kind of subtle behaviors that you've seen uh, are the problem? I think largely for me, okay, and I've been in the UK for 10 months and I haven't experienced any sort of overt racism in debating, but then that does not mean these things do not exist, right? And I, I wasn't at um, the World Debating Championship in Cape Town 2019, but then that's like a big example of how um, majority groups think because something is not explicitly racist then it means there's no problem at all because then the issue with that tournament was that um black people felt disrespected because of one of the comments that was passed by someone on Ocom and asked for you know an apology to make things better but then the response there was to try and you know explain try and make things look like it's not explicitly racist and so it's not a problem and so what you do in those kinds of situations is that you create a notion that whenever any racist incident occurs, the society or the community is not willing to take adequate steps to respond to it effectively. It took a lot of protest, it took a lot of, um, it took a lot of conversations for something, for a private apology to even be given first, before then a public ap apology by the CAP team. And then, so you see those things like foster some sort of perception that, um, these groups do not take things seriously. Sometimes people don't talk about certain things because they are scared about the reaction that they get. So at least if there was a sense that um, racism would be treated with the kind of um, urgency or the kind of seriousness that it, um, it should be, then things would be probably a lot better. You'd have a lot more people calling out things like this. But a lot of times people just keep quiet about it because you don't want to risk sounding like you're paranoid. So you'd rather not say anything. But then the responses to these things really play a role in how people feel. And I think that's something that should be important. Like that's something that should be worked on. Like how do we respond to racist incidents? Do we ask people to explain? Do we ask, do we try to, you know, justify those actions? You know, those things, all those things really count. 
Very good, very important. Yeah. So what you're highlighting here, then I think, uh, uh, as a truly learning opportunity, is uh, if I recall the incident uh, myself, the scenario here was that a white person uh, spoke uh, with quite invective tone towards a black person, um, and she treated that as being a uh, not necessary to do with the color of their skin because they are quite harassive towards other person as well, um, mm -hmm. not taking into account the obvious legacy of white people tending to speak down to black people, certainly in South Africa. Um, and therefore, I think what you're telling us is that the context changes if you are in a global community and therefore the way in which you address language changes well. And I think furthermore, what I really get out of your conversation and think is very good is that we need to learn that when someone like tries to teach us that they operate in a different context, that for us should be a moment to learn and reflect and apologize rather than try and tell them that the context in which you personally have always operated in should be the correct context to see uh, and, and be less defensive. I think, I think that's very, very welcoming. Um, do you feel something similar could be said, for instance, about uh, the, the, the tropes and the way that, that, for instance, many people in the developed world portray the developing world or portray people living in poverty, say, uh, in the global south as well, that we need to also learn to uh, change the way that we talk about uh, these scenarios to avoid uh, using unfortunate racialized tropes. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of learning that needs to be done. And of course, it's not an easy task to um, try and move out of your comfort zone and try and understand how things are done in certain contexts. But it's always important, especially when you're dealing with other people, because then as you apart as, um, as I think we've both said, racism does not always manifest in, you know, explicit tropes and whatever you use. It's, it's, it's just, you know, subtle things like this like thinking that okay if someone is from africa and so that means they're from probably an impoverished country with you know little amenities like things like that you know and then the way we deal those with those things are more complex and so there should be an understanding that let's first take the step in you know trying to learn and understand how to behave um, with other people from different cultural contexts and I think that's like an important first step that needs to be taken. I can't speak to explicit racism because I haven't experienced it personally. Maybe somebody who has been in the circuit or the debating space longer than me would have different experiences and but then I personally haven't come into contact with you know overt racist um, remarks or anything of that sort so I can't really speak to that. Mm -hmm. But I think what you do highlight that I think is very important is that it's just deeper than just thinking about things as being explicitly about racist things, but that it is indeed about the inclusion of people who have historically have had fewer opportunities to engage within global debating or people who come to uh, different debating circuits and making these, these transitions easier. Um, I think it's important indeed that you highlight as well that there's lots of learning there. At the same time, you tell us that that learning obviously should not just fall upon the uh, minorities uh, explicitly pushing towards education, the majorities who were blissfully unaware until then. Um, are there any concrete steps you can think of that could help majorities to uh, make them more proactive in, the, in their learning? Are there resources they could share? Are there behaviours they need to adapt in? Mm, I think it's more an issue of of course it's very difficult to once you're comfortable it's very difficult to take necessary steps to try and understand how people on like the other side experience things but then again i think it starts with 
it starts with the willingness or the open-mindedness so in responding to or in meeting um people from different cultural backgrounds especially when you're in a position of power maybe you're in ocom you're on the cap team or in your organizing team or something of that sort try and you know be open-minded to um reach out probably to people of minority groups and ask them in our preparation for this tournament, how do you think we can make things more representative? How do you think we can make um, things more inclusive for people in um, these kinds of spaces? Because I realize that when it comes to um, representation on CAP teams, like there's an effort to make sure that CAP teams are very diverse. But then that does not necessarily mean the competitions ends up also being very diverse because I feel then the problem there's then there's a lack of communication because then if there's a person if the reason for representation is so that um, people can contribute ideas to make um, um, competitions or debate spaces more um, inclusive so it's not just a, it's not just enough to you know appoint someone on a CAP team or OCOM or equity team from diverse backgrounds engage those people in active conversations and I think feedback is something that is really very necessary very important in debates and apart from the feedback we get from judges I think feedback in terms of these conversations is also very important and i think it's something that should be probably institutionalized before each tournament could we have a feedback system a questionnaire system that makes sure that we are soliciting responses from the people who would likely pass participate in these tournaments and how to make these things better for them and i think that's like the major important first step because if you don't know if you don't have enough information you wouldn't be able to react well in such situations you wouldn't be able to you know take adequate steps to make sure people are being included and you assume things are okay but then they're probably not right so that's the important thing i'll talk about like learning and you know sparking conversations having getting feedback from the people who feel excluded in these kinds of things yeah Okay, wonderful. I think that's that's indeed once again a, a useful addition. Um, so one of the things I'm learning from this is that it's indeed not enough, as you say, to just have someone say from Ghana uh, on a CAP team when there is then either this person doesn't really serve a role in explicitly in promoting other debaters from Ghana or West Africa or the African continent, or when they are the only person there and there aren't, for instance, then more people who are invited as independent adjudicators from the same region to really fall through. I think that's a very important contribution as well. You mentioned earlier that um, one of the difficulties for stepping towards these institutions is that people are afraid of not being taken serious. Do you feel that representation, for instance, on equity teams is sufficient? Um, or are there other steps that need to be taken to make sure that people are actually willing to come forward if they feel that there has been an unfortunate incident happened to them? Mm, I think there could be a lot more that could be done about equity teams. Um, I feel maybe, um, in, I don't know how to, I'm trying to phrase this very well, probably make equity more, play a more important role in terms of tournaments, right? People really do not take equity teams seriously because there really no sort of, um, you know, punitive measures attached to certain things that happen. So it's just like, okay, yeah, you took you took the matter to equity. We try and investigate, and then it just fizzles out. 
you know, I haven't really seen equity teams being able to take certain actions to correct certain things or to call out certain, like, okay, yes, there's sometimes there's instances of calling out, but then it's not really enough, right? So I feel like there can be um, a revision of the way equity teams operate to make sure that they're taking seriously in debate spaces because I don't think a lot of people mind being brought before it like the equity panel anyways because at the end of the day it's not going to affect um their role in the competition it's not going to affect anything else <clears throat> that happens afterwards right so once that there's no sort of like um i don't want to say punitive but no sort of resolution attached to the work that equity does it becomes difficult to take the role of equity teams very seriously another thing also that is important for equity teams it's, it's it's representation right if something happens to me and i feel it's racist or i feel it's sexist i'll probably be more comfortable speaking to an equity team member who is probably female or black because then i feel that person can understand me i've 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 had i think that's one thing that stops people from reporting incidents that happen to them because sometimes you stop and think like am i really overreacting is this really racist who do i talk to it about it right so that kind of representation kinds of make things better for people to be able to come forward because they know that first of all there's somebody willing to listen to them and understand them and then secondly that specific actions will be taken to remedy like whatever wrong has occurred I think, that's I think that's a very important subject to your approach here, especially because I, I have indeed a feeling that equity uh, has become a, a, a catch-all term for everything to do with inclusion. And as you highlight, of course, is there's different elements that need to be approached where currently equity, um, for various reasons, I think, uh, seem to be working primarily on a mediated structure where they are talking about an individual vis-a-vis -vis an individual who's done wrong and try to en encourage that on an individual level maybe someone goes apologize as you point out it might be inconclusive because what does equity do next if the person is unwilling to apologize but it also isn't very currently very capable of translating from what happens if not an individual but rather a community feels aggrieved in a certain way or how can it do more gen general call outs if in a if in a 20 room debate competition 10 in 10 rooms uh people have deployed unfortunate racialized tropes um how do equity engage in a very meaningful set of learning other than just a simple call out that people can ignore coming from the stage. So I think you're highlighting here a very important discussion into how we can further equity uh, in development. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly what I try. I like the fact that you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think I think I think we all have to be open and part, part for me for these kind of interviews also I am learning uh, uh, myself coming from a majority white uh, perspective um, so in, in that sense these interviews are for me also a very personal moment as well um, what I'm also very interested in uh, uh, maybe related not necessarily to, to racialized structures per se but at the beginning of our conversation you mentioned how you furthered the work uh, of introducing debates towards women back in Ghana. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? What, what did you do there? Uh, how was it, how successful was it? And what, what were the goals of success? Because I think we can learn from something like that as well. Um, okay, well, I think, um, would I classify it as success? Well, yeah, in some regards, I think some of these things have been successful. So what I tried to do first was 
in my institution to create um, a woman-only space for training and sharing of resources because it felt like again with the problem of inclusion like the debate space back home was quite male dominated and so it made it it made more people feel left out you realize and there was a, a recurrent problem like i think i i realized it in my second or third year like there's so many females that sign up to join the debate team and then after a year or a few months they all keep they all just drop out and then it's it's still the men that keep going forward and so by the time i was in my final year i was the only female from my year my batch who was still active in debate and so i tried to create you know um a female OD debate space um, try and share resources helpful resources because some people don't know where to find some of these things and sometimes you just need help identifying important debate resources I try to inculcate you know um, more intensive training for women within my my circuit right um, it was quite I, I wouldn't I wouldn't pat myself on the back of course there's so challenges we face but I think um yeah and I also I also tried um to you know speak with more female debaters at a point because I realized that um there was little female female partnerships and so it's something I tried to do and um yes so I think the the West African this was the second time we'd organized um, the West African Women's um, Open with Sham. The second time was when we had Shamila on board. But the first time, um, I was I served on the CAP team as well, and you know it just created a sort of like safe space for people to talk about things that happened to them in debate and how to make things better. And for the second one, we sort of like institutionalized it. It was really great having like Shamila on board. And then we had Enten at a point joining us. We had Kamara also judging like a few rounds. So it's very nice getting feedback from like these people. And there was, um, you know, about two days focus on just training, like talking to these women about like specific challenges they face in the debate circuit and how how we some of us have been able to overcome those things and how they could probably overcome those things as well so it's something they found very helpful and it's something i i wish to see continue so of course we're making plans to make sure that it's something that happens yeah so i think yeah that, that sounds like a superb initiative so i'm, I'm trying to think because because i think there's a lot of like overlap in how we can do it for other uh, uh, minority communities as well. So I'm thinking of things like maybe the debate communities or debate clubs should look at their own universities and see where are there, for instance, minority spaces. Like looking at the Netherlands, where the predominant minority communities either are people from uh, former colonies, uh, like 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 the the Dutch Antilles, the Suriname, um, or there are people who come from Muslim backgrounds. Very often they have also created their own clubs and societies, and maybe coming to them and offering debate education to them as well uh, as as a, as a stepping stone, so they don't immediately have to go into a, a more foreign space, but they 
they are then coming to the foreign space and everybody knowing what the bait is and, and what they can expect sounds like a fantastic thing and, and very similar to creating safe women environments uh, and also i think what you do on a personal level where you speak with more women definitely sounds like a tactic that you want to uh replicate uh where people should be aware of that they when they choose the novice for instance they want to speak with as a development competition that they don't just go for the novice that they think so most quote-unquote promise or whatnot but make a very active uh, effort to try and involve those novices for whom you've seen their characteristics are less represented at the higher levels in the debate club. Yeah. I think we're coming near the end. So uh, what we always like to ask at the end of the conversation is are there important things that we haven't yet discussed that you think we should have a definite room for in this conversation? Um, I think I think this has been quite extensive. I think I, I, I've said all the things I thought of saying and even more things than I planned on saying and I think that's quite good and I just think um yeah I think it's been very extensive and so yeah you've been a good host <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much uh, and you've been a very good guest thank you very much for joining us this was SNM Osai Bonsu uh speaking to us from Cambridge uh about how to be more inclusive uh, as a debate club thank you once again thank you for having me bye bye bye